Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and I always tell you that I'm excited about episodes, but I'm really excited about this episode. It put me in a better mood than I started the day that I get to record this episode, because today um, we're going to be talking about disability and preparedness. We're going to be talking about COVID abandonment, and we're going to be talking about like a lot of the questions that, you know, like a, a lot of the questions that people write us to talk about that they have about preparedness. And I think that we can cover a lot of those, not me, but our guest. But first, before the guest, a jingle from another show on the network. Oh, the network is called Channel Zero Network. It is a network of anarchist podcasts. And here's a jingle. The Final Straw is a weekly anarchist radio show. It's fucking awesome. And you're never going to hear me say fucking awesome on our show because we're FCC regulated. There's a a black part of my heart that that just flutters when you when you talk like that. I uh, <laughs> talk, then more yelling. It's a weird sort of like nice thing in a way, but also can get kind of crushing at times. The Final Straw Radio. Noblogs.org. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then I guess just like a little bit about how you got involved in thinking about and dealing with disability and preparedness. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hi, um, my name is Leah Lakshmi Piepchna Samarsinga. I use she and they pronouns. Right now, I live in Pecumtuck and Nipmuc territories in Western Massachusetts. And um, that is a great question. I will also just plug myself briefly and be like, I'm a disability justice and transportive justice old sea hag, um, <laughs> aging punk of color who has written or co-edited 10 books and done a lot of shit. Okay, so when I was sitting on the toilet thinking about what do I want to tell Margaret when we get on the show, um, I was actually thinking that my disability and my preparedness roots are kind of one and the same because... So I'm 48 now, and I got sick when I was 21, 22. So like back in 96, 97. And, and it was like the initial episode that I got sick with chronic fatigue, ME, and fibromyalgia. And mm-hmm. I was just super fucking ill and on the floor and was living in Toronto as somebody who was not from Canada. And, you know, was just like sick as hell, like crawling to the bathroom, like sleeping 18 hours a day, the whole nine. And I'd been really, really deeply involved in anarchist of color and prison abolitionist and anti-fascist organizing and lots mm-hmm. of stuff. I had a big community, and but it was 1997. So most of my community was just like, what, you're sick? Why didn't you make it to the meeting? We have to write all the prisoners <laughs> with the soaked stamps. And I was just like, I, I just, okay, great. Like, it was a really different time. There was no, like, GoFundMe, mutual aid meal train, someone bring me some soup. Like, you know, it was just mm-hmm. we we weren't really doing that. And people really did not have a consciousness around you can be a 22-year-old brown non-binary femme and be really, really sick and be disabled. So something I, I think a lot and I've said before is that disabled people are really used to the concept that no one is going to save us. And we are really not surprised when state systems abandon us because we live in that all the time. And so I was this like little 22-year-old sicko weirdo who'd read my Octavia Butler. And in fact, that was part of the reason why it was like, Toronto, great. There's going to be more water and like less heat. Okay. I uh-huh. wasn't totally right about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, 
I really had to save myself. And I kind of was like, all right, I don't have, like, I'm working off the, I'm working under the table. I have hardly any money. I'm going to make my own herbal medicine. I'm going to grow a lot yeah. of what I eat from my backyard. I'm going to store water. I'm going to run a credit card scam and get a lot of dry goods and like Hell live off yeah. of those for like a year. Yeah, stuff like that. I feel like from there over like the last, you know, 26 years, like it's like, that's the root. Like the root was, you know, similar to a lot of people, I think of my generation, we were like on the cusp of looking at the current crises of like hot fascist war, mm-hmm. hot eugenics war, hot climate crisis, and being like, it's coming. And I started being like, yeah, like, don't, don't think that it's all going to work out okay. And that somebody else is going to fix it for you. So I would say that's where like my initial initial route. And then do you want to jump in or can I jump ahead like 20 years or something? Honestly, you could jump ahead 20 years later. Okay. I'm going to come back and make you talk more about Octavia Butler, but we'll do okay. that later. Let's, let's talk more about Octavia Butler. Cause I have a lot of stuff about Octavia Butler and how she thought of, and I think sometimes misused like nowadays Ooh. and also about disability. Yeah, I know we can uh-huh. do that. So, okay. So that's one route. And then, you know, I mean, I was always kind of like a little weirdo where I was like, yeah, I grow most of my own food and, or as much as I can. And it's not like a fun green hobby. It's like I'm broke as fuck and I need to like grow a yeah. lot of vegetables that fucking, you know, I can mulch and that can stay growing into December. You know, I I stash stuff. Um, something I also think a lot is that as disabled people, I mean, we talked about this a little bit when we were emailing. I think we're always prepping whether we call it that or not. Like Mm -hmm. most disabled folks I know just do shit. Like if you get a prescription and you have extra, you store it, you know, like if you can get a double dose, like you put that aside and then maybe you have it for yourself or there's so many disabled mutual aid networks I've been a part of where someone's, I mean, before Facebook clamped down, this is really common on a lot of Facebook disabled groups. Um, Someone would be like, yo, like, does anyone have an extra five pills of such and such? And I've seen total strangers for 15 years of disability justice be like, yep, what's your address? I do. I'm going to mail it to you. Yeah. I have my old pain meds. I've got this. I've got that. But um, yeah, like doing the jumping forward that I promised you. Um, (laughs) So for people who don't know, like disability justice as a movement was founded around 2005 by a small group of disabled Black, Asian, and poor and working class white disabled folks who are all pretty, you know, gay, trans, and radical. And they were Mm -hmm. like, we want to bring a revolutionary intersectional out of our own lives and experiences and issues. We want to create a a disability movement that's for us and by us. That's not just like white, single issue, often cis, often male, often straight. Like we want to talk about the fact that 50% of BIPOC folks who are killed by the cops are also disabled, deaf, neurodivergent, et cetera. Like just to give one example. So, you know, that was 05 in Oakland, you know, Patty Byrne, Leroy Moore, Stacey Milburn, um, Eli Clare, Sebastian Margaret, Stacey Milburn Park, you know, the six. And um, I was living in Toronto and I moved to Oakland in 07 and I was kind of around for some of the beginnings of it. There's two stories I want to bring in. One actually predates my move. Um, It was right when I was getting ready to leave Toronto. I got invited to go to this like reading by a bunch of like queer I think all white disabled, like radical folks. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, and I did the whole, like, am I really disabled enough? And then I was like, oh, it's going to be really depressing. And then it was really awesome. And I was like, whoa, disability community, life-saving. But it was kind of one of my moments of being brought into disability community because there was this writer who was there who 
their reading series was actually a choose your own adventure where there's four disabled queer and trans folks uh-huh. having a sex party and then the <laughs> zombie apocalypse happens and then they have to figure out how to survive it without abandoning each other and it was all like okay you all get to the van but then there's no ramp what do you do oh you get to the accessible ramp but it smells like perfume and somebody has mcs like what do you do and i was just sitting there with my mouth open and there was also interwoven with like yeah and then somebody's fucking somebody else with like you know a dildo mm. strapped to their prosthetic and i was like wow i fucking love disability like sign me up <laughs> but i gotta say briefly that was one of my first examples of like you know there's a really important phrase in disability justice which is no one left behind right yeah. like that's one of the core organizing principles and that was kind of before i even heard that phrase i was like fuck like this is because i'd been around anti-authoritarian quasi-prepper like shit's mm-hmm. gonna happen we have to get make ready but i was always kind of like quietly in the corner closeting my disability being like well shit like what if i don't have my meds or what if i'm too what if i right. can't run away from you know the, the nazis or the zombies because i have a limp and i walk with a cane like what if and that was my first example of like this cross disability fantasy space of like we're going to escape together and we're not going to let anyone get eaten and it's going to mean really being creative about access stuff. Okay, yeah. so jump ahead to, right? Okay. So then I moved to Oakland and then I ran into actual disability justice community through Sins Invalid, which is an incredibly important foundational disability justice group and through a lot of friendships I started making with other cutie BIPOC disabled folks. And my really, really good friend, Stacey Park Milburn, who, um, if people should totally know her work, she's incredible. She was one of the best movement organizers that the movement has ever seen. And we met online and she was living in Fort Bragg, North Carolina with her family on the base because her family's military. Mm -hmm. And she was a queer Southern working class, um, Korean and white, you know, physically disabled organizer from when she was really young. And then she was like, okay, I love my family, but I'm literally hiding my gay books in the wall because my mom's Pentecostal. So um, <laughs> yeah, so, and, she was like, and she was like, I literally realized, like she tells the story a lot. She's like, yeah, like I realized I hadn't really left the house for a couple months and like, this is going to be it. And she's like, I was literally watching Oprah and Oprah said, no one's going to coming to save you. And she was like, okay, she's 21 years old. Uh-huh. And then through online disabled queer of color community, um, there was this, we or, she organized this initiative called To the Other Side of Dreaming, where she moved cross country with Mia Mingus, who's another queer Korean organizer who was a friend of hers, okay, and moved to the Bay Area. And so that was around 2010, 2011. And then in 2011, what happens but the Fukushima nuclear accident, right? Disaster. Yeah. And we're all on the West Coast, and it's completely ridiculous bullshit looking back on now, but like all of these Bay Area folks were like, oh my God, radiation. And some people pointed out, look, you know, we're not, There's, it's a big ocean. The people <laughs> really have to worry are in like Japan and like areas around it. So yeah. whatever. But it was one of those times where we were like, fuck, this is a really big nuclear accident. And we are sort of close and it's making us think about disaster. And I remember just going to the fucking Berkeley Bowl, which is this big fancy organic supermarket. And like people had bought out all of the burdock and all of the fucking seaweed. And I was like, oh, my God, these people. <laughs> but out of that, like Stacy started having con- and, and I and other people who were in our organizing network of disabled majority BIPOC were like, what are we going to do as disabled BIPOC if there is like, you know, an earthquake, fascism, like another big disaster. And Stacey said really bluntly, she's like, you know, and she was a power wheelchair user. She used a ventilator. You know, she like, she's like, yeah, I am supported by electricity and battery, you know, dependent like access equipment. And she's like, well, 
I'm going to be really honest. My plan has always been, if something happens, I'm just going to lay down in my bed and die because I don't think that any emergency services are going to come save me and the power is going to run out in 48 hours. And then we were like, okay, bet that's super real. What if through our amazing collective access stuff we're doing, we could figure out something else. And we had this meeting at, um, Arismendi Bakery, which for folks who know is like a worker-owned co-op chain, like our friend Remedios worked there. It's wheelchair accessible. We met there after hours. And it was just like 12, 15 of us who started just sitting there and being like, what are the resources we have? What are the needs we have? Yeah. And we made this and we made this map, which I still have, which I think I shared with you, which is just like Apocalypse South Berkeley slash Oakland map yeah. 2011, where we were like, okay, you know, when the power goes down and communication goes down, we're going to meet at this one traffic circle because people who are wheelchair users can roll up and we're going to bury note paper in a mason jar with pens and we're going to leave notes for each other. But we're also going to agree to meet there the day after at noon. And I was like, okay, Okay, my collective house, like the first floor is wheelchair accessible. We have solar, we have a landline. Mm-hmm. So like, and we have a lot of space. So like, let's meet there. And then someone was like, we've got the one accessible van and we know it's only supposed to fit four people, but we can fit like 12 in there. And we started, like, I just think about that a lot because it's, I think it was a really important moment where it was important, the stuff that we did, like the, you know, the actual strategies and the resources we started talking about, but it was also that, It was the first time in my life that I was like, okay, we're not, not only are we not going to just die alone in our beds, I'm also not going to be the one person who survives. Like I can actually survive with and because of other people. And we're all disabled BIPOC with like a couple of disabled white folks. And we can like actually collectively strategize around that. And then, and this will be my last leap forward because I see that you're like, I want to ask you stuff. So you know, eight years go by. And like in that time, like we all do an incredible amount of like disability justice organizing and strategizing. And, you know, in 2019, and a lot of it started to be around climate disaster on the West Coast. Like I moved mm-hmm. to Seattle in 2015, the wildfires sort of thing really bad a year or two later. A lot of us were involved in mass distributions and just spreading information about like smoke safety and, you know, survival. And then in 2019 was the infamous year where the wildfires came back and Pacific Gas and Electric and all of its fucking glory, which is the main, for people who don't know, it's the main like utility electrical company in Northern California. They announced two days before wildfires were going to really impact the Bay. They were like, oh, so we've decided that, you know, our strategy is going to be, we're just going to shut down all the power in Northern California. <laughs> and no, no one like, uses yes. that. No one uses that. And they were like, oh, if you have like, if you have like a medical need, call this number and we'll make sure to like leave it on at your house. And Stacey was like, she's like, okay, yeah. She had just bought her house, the Disability Justice Culture Club in East Oakland, mm-hmm. you know, which house was, which is like her house, but also a community center, de facto mm-hmm. community center that housed a lot of disabled folks of color. And she was like, I was on the fucking phone for eight hours. Like I never got through. And she and some comrades started this campaign called Power to Live, where they were like, it started out as like, okay, we can't save everybody, but we're not going to just lay down and die. What do we do? So it started out as like, okay, let's identify like who has housing that still has power. There's some people in Richmond, there's some people in this neighborhood. But then it also developed into this thing where it was just this amazing crowdsourced survivalist resource where it was everything from, she's like, here's a number, here's an email. If you need something, text us, call us, email us. We have a team of eight people. We'll figure it out. If you have something to offer, do it too. And then some of it was that people were like, 
sharing everything from like generator information to generator shares to people in different areas. Like I was in Seattle and we were like, okay, we will mail you generators and air purifiers because it's obviously all sold out in the Bay, but we can get it here and get it to you. To the thing that always stands out to me is people being like, oh yeah, here's how you can use like dry ice and two clay pots to keep your insulin cold if refrigeration goes down. Yeah. And there's a lot more I could say about that action and how amazing it was. But for me, when I think about the through line, I'm like, that moment in 2011, when we all got together and we're like, what do we do? We were prepping for what we couldn't fully predict, you know, the exact manifestation of, but eight years later, we're there and we're like, okay, there's wildfires, there's smoke, there's no fucking power. And we've not only built our organizing base, we've built our relationships with each other so that we can actually trust each other and more or less know how to work together when this shit actually is hitting the fan to create something that's really life-giving. Yeah. Okay, I'll shut up. That was a lot. Okay, but now I have so many questions about all of it. Yeah, ask okay. me all the questions. Because there's a couple uh, there's a couple like questions and or feedback that we get um with strain with live like the world is dying a lot. And some of them are cool. very specifically disability related and you covered most of them, but I want to like highlight some of them. Um like a lot of people write and are like, well, I rely on the following thing that is provided by civilization so my plan is to mm-hmm. lay down and die. Right? This is a and and so I guess like, I know you've kind of answered it, but I, I, yeah. I want to ask more. Okay. Well, I'll just go, I'll go through all the things. Okay. So it's like to talk more about what no one left behind means. And then the other thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, when we were talking, when we were talking about what we were going to talk about on this, on this episode, I was, you know, saying, okay, we're going to talk about like, you know, making sure that preparedness is inclusive and open, you know, like, uh, includes disabled folks or whatever. And, and you pointed out really usefully the, the necessity to reframe it. And I think that the story you just gave is a really beautiful example of this, where it's less about like, hey, make sure to pay attention to the people who need canes, you know, or whatever, right? Like, you know, people make sure you keep track of, of folks based on disability. And more that like, well, you all like, like the thing you just described is the thing that we're always trying to push, which is that you need to make a list of all the resources and needs within your community and then figure out how to meet those needs instead of assuming that we can't meet those needs, figuring out how to actually do it. And so I love that it's actually like, it's actually disability justice movements that we should be learning from, I mean, or participating in depending on our level of ability or whatever. Um, But like, and so I just find that, I find both of those things really interesting. Um, And so I, I wonder if you have more, that you want to say about like alternatives to laying down and dying and specifically mm-hmm. to tie into the, the other thing that I get asked the most or that I get the common feedback is because we talk a lot about the importance of community for preparedness on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't feel like they have community mm-hmm. and a lot of people write to be like, I don't have any friends or I yeah. don't know any other people like me or, you know, and, and so I guess that's my main question is, is how do, yeah, how how do. (laughs) Okay. So how do you make community when you don't have community alternatives to lying down and dying? Mm -hmm. And was there a third one in there? Uh, I was just highlighting how cool it is that um, you all like sat there and made a list of resources and needs, which is exactly what, like, instead of deciding things are impossible, just being like, well, let's just start Mm -hmm. doing them, you know? Well, and I, and I think, okay, so I'll start there. Like, I think that like, you know, like Corbett O'Toole, who's like a, you know, disability rights movement veteran and like older Irish um, disabled dyke, 
you know, in Crip Camp, the movie, she's like, disabled people live all the time with the knowledge that society wants us to, like, thinks we're better off dead, right? Yeah. Like one, back in the day, like, you know, there's, I think they're still active. Um, one of the big disability rights direct action organizations was called Not Dead Yet, right? Hell yeah. And so I think this is the thing is like, I think that sometimes abled people or neurotypical people mm-hmm. are not used to like sitting down and making the list. And I think that even if like disabled people aren't preppers, we're used to being like, okay, what do I need? I fuck, I need somebody to help me do my dishes. I need, oh, I can't bend over. I need to figure out like, what is the access tool that will allow me to pick up something from the floor when my back goes out? Like if my attendant doesn't show up, can I have a, you know, like my friend's always like, yeah, I've got a yogurt container by the bed in case my attendant doesn't show up. So I can like not piss the bed. I can lean over and piss in the yogurt container. Like there's a, and I think that, God, I mean, there's been so many times over the years where, like, I've done or been a part of doing, like, Disability Justice 101, and me and Stacy would always talk about, like, crip wisdom and crip innovation, and people would just look blank. Like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? You guys are just a bunch of, like, sad orphans at the telethon. <laughs> and and the thing, it's, it's about making the list. It's also about, like, disabled disability forces you to be innovative. Like, Stacy yeah. would always share this, this, this story where she's like, yeah, like... She's like, Crip innovation is everything from, she's like, I save a lot of time sometimes by pretending I can't talk when people come over and want to pray over me. You know, I just act like I'm mute and they fucking leave and I go on with my life. Or she's like, you know, I realized one day if I took my sneakers off, I could ramp a step. If it's just two steps, I could just put them there and I could roll up. Uh Or, I mean, there's a million examples. Or like, because I think it's, it's about prepping and about making the list. And it's also about whatever you prep for, there's always going to be the, the X factor of, oh, we didn't fucking expect that. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of prep falls apart is people have their like dream bunker. They're like, oh, okay, I know exactly what the threats are going to be. And then of course it doesn't fucking happen that way. I really yeah. hope I can swear on your show. Yes, you um, can. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. <laughs> so like, I mean, one example I could give is like, I'm remembering at, you know, a Sins show when we were in rehearsal where everyone drove over from Oakland in Patty's wheelchair accessible van and then the ramp broke and wouldn't unfold. So we just mm-hmm. were like, all right, do we, who do we know who has welding equipment? Who do we know who has lumber? Like, I think we had like, yeah. like a bike repair shop and then they had tools yeah. and then we're like, okay, we'll just bring the rehearsal into the van and do it that way. Like you have to be innovative. And that's a muscle that I think society doesn't teach you to flex. And that often, I think that even people who, I think there can be a lot of eugenics and prep, you know, mm-hmm. whether people are overtly fascist or not, there's a real belief of like, oh, only the strong and smart, which looks a certain way survive. And that we right. can use like rational thinking to like make it all work out. And I think a lot of crip intelligence or wisdom is like actually knowing that like shit can go sideways 48 different ways and you have to adapt and you yeah. have to just kind of be like, well, let's try this. Um So I think that's one thing. And I think, you know, one thing I'll say is like, yeah, just speaking to kind of the reframing we were talking about, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's less like, oh, remember the people with canes? I mean, that's good. But also like knowing that like, we're already doing it and that abled people actually have a shit ton to learn from us. But also, I mean, something that, I mean, my the title of my last book is The Future is Disabled and it comes from something it's not unique thinking to me. It's something that a lot of disabled people have been thinking and saying throughout the pandemic is like, we were already at like a 30% disabled world minimum. And we're pretty close. We're probably at majority disabled right now because what 2% of the world didn't get COVID. Like how many people have long COVID? How many people have complex PTSD? We're all sick, crazy and, you know, needing access equipment. So like, disability is not out there. It's in here. Like there's no such thing as doing prep. That's like, Oh, only the three Ubermensch are going to survive. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Um, and that actually, I mean, 
sorry, this might be a side note, but like, okay, a lot of people have probably seen The Last of Us, and I'm just going to spoil alert it. You know, that famous <laughs> episode three of those two gay bear preppers in love. Yeah. Yeah. I loved a lot about it. I was so pissed at the ending, which I'm just going to spoil. So, you know, the like more yeah, artsy, non-prep guy. Well, no, but like not only do they not survive, okay. but like one of them gets chronically ill. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like grinding my teeth because it's like, oh, he's in a wheelchair. Oh, his hand tremors. And then they end up deciding to like both kill themselves yeah. rather than do anything else. And I was so furious at it because I was yeah. like – these are two people who are so innovative. They have figured out all kinds of problem solving. They have an entire small city to themselves. And it's all like, oh no, he can't get up the stairs. And I'm like, really? There was no accessible ranch house you couldn't have fucking moved to? Yeah, or like you build, have a a, whole... build a bedroom on the fucking ground floor. Build a building. Yeah, or like you couldn't get meds. You couldn't. I mean, when his hand was shaking, yeah. it was like, oh, it's so sad he's being fed. I'm like, there's tons. First of all, it doesn't suck to be fed. A lot yeah. of things that seem like a fate worse than death are not when you're in them. And also there's like all kinds of adaptive utensils that they could have fucking raided for medical supply if he wants to feed himself or like he, right. I'm sorry, there's no cans of insure. They absolutely have power. They couldn't have made smoothies. Like what the fuck is this? But beyond that, like, and I think that like a lot of people who talked about that episode did, I think have some good analysis of it where, mm -hmm. You know, the whole way they'd set up their prep was they were like, oh, it's just the two of us. And the one super prepper guy was like, I don't even want friends to come over. And the other guy was like, hey, actually, like, we need to make alliances because there's things they have that we don't. And we also need more than just the two of us because I love you, yeah. but I'm going to kill you. And I think that's something to think about is like really moving away from the idea that like just your little you know, the utopic queer rural community that so many fucking city queers fantasize about yeah. or, you know, you and your <laughs> lover are going to be enough. Cause I'm just like, it's not. So no. that actually leads me to like, I don't have community. Where the fuck do I get it? And I'm like, yeah. that's super real. Right. Yeah. And I think like, it's something I actually wrote about in the future is disabled is that like, I have people be like, when I write about different group communities, just even when I talk about stuff on Facebook, like my friend Graham Bach, um, it's going to be his second year death anniversary in like two weeks. And he was like, you know, white psychiatric survivor, super poor, amazing sweetheart of a human being. He died. I mean, he died in his, you know, rent gear to income apartment because he was really afraid to go to the hospital and he had cardiac stuff going on. And yeah. um, he was an anarchist. He was an amazing, kind, complicated human being. And, um, and I was writing about like, I'm going to tell the story and there's a couple things I want to pull out of it. So okay. I was writing about meeting Graham when I was in my early twenties through radical mad people community. And somebody was reading it and was like, that sounds so great. And I was like, yeah, it wasn't utopic. Like I had to yell back at Graham because he would scream at me and I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Like there was yeah. so many fights. There was so much racism. There were so many like older white cis dudes who had, who had electroshock who were jerky or like gross, you know? And I guess that was the thing is I was like, they were like, well, how did you find each other? And I was like, it wasn't perfect. Also, it was very analog working class. Like my friend Lilith Finkler, who is an amazing Moroccan Jewish working class queer femme, psych survivor, she would just go to the donut shop where everybody poor hung out and would talk to everybody who was there who was crazy, who no one wanted to talk to and be like, hey, do you want to come hang out at this meeting at the fucking legal clinic? We have a room. We have a snack plate. I'll give you tokens. Yeah. Let's organize. So I think that's the first thing is that it's not, and I don't mean this in a finger wagging way, it's not automatic. And also one of the really big ways that community is often ableist and that a lot of us get cut out from it is that like, yeah, a lot of us who need it the most are 
not particularly easy to love in ableist neurotypical worldviews. Like we're yeah. cranky, we're wounded, we're in a bad mood, we're weird. So a lot of the time, I think it's thinking about like, first of all, like what's one step, one move you can take towards it? Like, can you make one fucking acquaintance and build it? And like really think about what it would mean to build some kind of relationship. I think the other thing that I really want to highlight is like a lot of the communities that I see that keep each other alive that I'm lucky to have been a part of making and be supported by in disabled community. They're not static and they're not perfect. Like I have yeah. networks of people who piss me the fuck off and who, you know, I've sent 20 bucks to people who I'm just like, I really don't like you, but I can see that you really don't have food, you know? And oh, but yeah. we're not going to be friends and we're not going to like each other, but like, yeah. I don't want you to die. And like, that's not, I mean, it's bigger. There's people also who I'm like, okay, you're my ex abuser. I'm not going to give you $5. Someone else can give you $5. There's this person who like, um, p- puts a lot of their effort into talking shit on me on the internet. And uh-huh. I, they're Sorry. also, no, no, but they're also broke and have a lot of chronic health issues and I send them money every month yeah. and every now and then yeah. I'm like could this like could you stop talking <laughs> shit now and yeah no, like, it's, I, and like I think sometimes it is a thing of like hey how about this is a deal like maybe you like yeah. just say thank you or maybe just talk shit even like 20% less because you know like yeah. we're, I'm really doing we keep us safe here and I just really would like a thank you, you I don't know? want you to die like but you know yeah. I don't want you to starve to death but I really yeah. wish you would be a little bit more open-minded to people having yeah. different opinions than yours. Oh um, God, that'd be right, nuance, right? Yeah, it'd be yeah. fucking nice. God forbid. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I guess no, no. It's it means good, but like I guess like um, my TLDR would be start where you are and start with like what's one thing you can do? What's one person you can yeah. reach out to? And I think, and I, you know, I don't know if this is true for everyone who reaches out to you and is like, well, I don't have anybody, but I think that. Um, you know, social media and online connectivity is a real double-edged sword because for some of us who are isolated, it can create both like online communities and that can sometimes become in real life communities and either yeah. way can be sources of some community or support. But I think, I mean, you know, I'm a generation Xer and I've just seen social media get more and more chokeholded and just turn into fucking the Panopticon meets a mall, you know? <laughs> and I think that like, it's hard because like, I mean, 12 years ago, like I was part of like really early online disabled spaces which were great because where it was so many people were like whoa i'm so isolated in my small town or in my city or i can't leave bed but this is great i'm meeting with other people and like we're building these connections and like it's actually more accessible for me to like be real about my stuff from like my bed with a heating pad and now i just think like it's so chokehold that it's hard for us to find each other yeah. so it's much more common for people to be like wow i'm seeing all these people who have millions of followers and a shiny brand and i just feel like even more of an isolated loser yeah and then at the same time i think people were like well how did people meet each other before this? And I was like, yeah, like you go to like the the coffee shop or the donut shop, you put up a flyer, you like go to the library, you like, I don't know. I mean, I just remember people I met on the food stamps line, you know, when we got there at six in the morning and like, not everything's going to stick, but maybe something sticks. And I also think about like, like I'm going back to like, yeah, like 13 years ago in like early disability justice community spaces where I mean, I think back to Sephora when I went back to Toronto, which, yeah, big city. But I remember I had so many people come to me and be like, you're because I was starting to be more out about disability because I was like, I'm in the Bay and there's these wild people who talk about it and they're not all white people. And so I have like so many like 
especially like black and brown disabled femmes be like, hi, you don't really know me, but I have fibromyalgia too, or I have lupus too. And like, no one I know talks about that. And like, how do you do it? And I'm specifically thinking about this time that this person I'm no longer in touch with, but we used to be friends who's like, you know, queer, brown, non-binary person was like, let's just like have a meetup of other chronically ill femmes of color which is you know, right. how we were all identifying at the time. And it was like four of us, four heating pads, a bottle of Advil, and just like very tentatively starting to share things about our lives. And I was like, yeah, that was four people. But a lot of that just like hangout then rippled outward. And it was like, I think it's also important to be like, it's scary to build community. Um, yeah. Some tools I want to shout out, like, um, so Mia Mingus, who I mentioned before, like she has a lot of really great writing on her blog, Leaving Evidence. And she created this tool a long time ago, no, that some people might be familiar with, but for folks who aren't, it's, you know, it's, it's her tool that she calls pod mapping. And she mm-hmm. actually created it as part of um, a collective she founded called the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective that was working on doing transformative justice um, interventions into intimate violence, specifically childhood sexual abuse a lot of the time. And she had this framework that I find really helpful. She's like a lot of, she was talking about in like community accountability, transformative justice spaces. She made a really good point where she's like, sometimes we talk about it like, yeah, bring in the community. Like everyone has a community. And she's like, most people don't have a fucking community, let alone one that can interview in childhood sexual abuse. So she used to create this tool where she's like, let's broaden the idea of what community is. Like maybe it's like that one cousin that you only talk once a year, but you could call them in a jam or it's this hotline or it is like, yeah, they're a weird church, but you really like their food bank. She's like, you have to like really bring in, like start where you are and like do the resource mapping we were talking about. I really like that tool a lot as a place for people who are like, what's my community? Cause I think it's a big word and really being like, what does that even mean to me? And like, what's one place I can start building it. And I also want to shout out, um, Rebel Sydney Black, who's a friend of mine who passed this June. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, he created this tool called Pod Mapping for Mutual Aid that was specifically aimed at disabled folks okay. who were trying to pod map during COVID. And I can we can provide the link and stuff like that. But like I would say like those are two places to start. And then I want to get to alternatives to lying down and dying. And then I'll stop. Um, okay, wait, but wait, before we get oh, yeah, to that, yeah, yeah, I wanna yeah. I wanna talk more about the yeah, building community thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. I think you, you brought up a lot of really interesting points. And one of the things that I really like about it, you know, talking about having like you're broadening the idea of what counts as community, I think is really useful. And one of the things I realized is like like a lot of times when I was younger, I was like, you all say community and you just mean the people that you like. Right. Mm-hmm. And that didn't make any sense to me. Like community seems like the people where you have a shared interest or whether the shared interest is you live on the same block or whether shared interest is an identity or whether the shared interest is like a, an interest that you're trying to see change or whatever. It doesn't mean people you like. It's a different thing. Friends mm-hmm. are the people I like. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, well, mostly. Um, just kidding. I love all of you. Uh, oh, yeah. Sure. Well, actually, I mean, there's a lot of people I love that I always like. Anyway, so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I And so I think that one of the things that stuck out with me about what you're going to say and I want to highlight is the idea that, or maybe I'm misreading it, but like pick an issue to work around seems like a good, mm-hmm. useful way. Like if you, especially if you like struggle to just like have friends, right? That's not like the thing mm-hmm. that you're good at, but like, but maybe there's a thing that you want to work on or like having that mm-hmm. meetup where it's like, oh, all the following people who have, you know, have the following things in common. Let's like meet up and talk about it. Or like, Honestly, activism is a really good way to mm-hmm. meet people and mm-hmm. work closely with people about things. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean these are your now your like your, your friends. 
but they can mm-hmm. be people where you rely on each other. And that doesn't have to be the same. I think about it a lot because I live um, in a fairly isolated and rural environment where there's not a lot mm-hmm. of people around me who are uh, culturally, whatever. There's not a lot about like out queer people where I live. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of like punks. And I'm like, that's okay. I talk to my actual neighbors instead. I mean, right. some of not not all of them, but most of them, you know, and like, they're who I would rely on in a crisis because they're right there. It doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. we have the same ideas about a lot of stuff, you know, but Mm -hmm. we have similar ideas like let's not die. Right. And so that's Mm -hmm. enough sometimes. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to. No, I I really appreciate it. I mean, that makes me kind of think about like when you're talking, I was like, yeah, you know, there's friends, there's communities, and then there's survival networks, which can include even like contacts. Right. Like, cause I just think about like, yeah, like, I mean, if, like, what would I do right now if some shit happened? And I was like, I've got, like, long distance, you know, kin and, like, long-term friendships of, and relationships of various kinds. And I also have, because, like, I moved to where I live, which is, like, semi-rural, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, like, definitely, like, more rural than where I've lived before. And I'm just like, yeah, I have a small number of friends, but there's, like, people who, like, I know who I can, who are, like, neighbors, who, like, we maybe don't know a shit ton about each other, but I could be like, yeah. hey this thing or hey do you have water or hey let's do yeah, this totally. i think it's a lot about thinking about like is it lo- like what are your goals is your goal intimacy is your goal survival is your goal friendship because you need different levels of trust and commonality depending yeah. on those things right yeah and i also think and this is the thing too i think something i think a lot of times because i've had people be like well i don't have community also i've heard that yeah and i think that a lot of times it's in the context i hear it in is people being like well i have care needs but i don't have any community so then there's also the really big thorny question of need and like being cared for is actually very complicated it's very Mm -hmm. risky it's very vulnerable it's not safe a lot of the time Mm -hmm. it may feel a lot easier to just be like i don't have any fucking needs and so there's a lot i will just say there's a lot of unpacking that needs to do around like what would I need to be cared for? What are my lower risk needs that I need help with? What are my higher risk needs, right? Like there's people who I can, there's some needs I have where I'm like, I don't need to trust you super, super deep politically or on an intimate level to let you do that. Yeah. There's certain needs where I'm like, that's only going to be people where we've really built a lot of fucking trust because if this goes sideways, you could really fuck with me, yeah. right? So, and I think that when you're starting from nowhere, I think often where people get stuck is like, where I am feels like I have nobody and nothing. And I want to get to like the thing I've written, read about in your topic, science fiction, yeah. where, you know, it's Starhawk and everybody loves each other. And how the <laughs> fuck do I get from A to B? And I think the solution is like, yeah, you're not going to get to fucking fifth sacred thing right away. And that book is complicated. God, I know. Never. It was very oh, influential Jesus. on my early, early Oh yeah. Life. When I was 18, I just wanted to fucking move there. And now I'm like, oh God, this is embarrassing. There's some shit in here. I'm like, wow, everybody's mixed race, but everyone's black parents are dead. Wow. <laughs> Cool. No one really thinks about race. I'm like, I'm gonna throw up, and I, and like, you know, BDSM is just violent. Okay, sorry, we're not gonna. Oh my god, I didn't remember that part. Oh yeah, no, where they're just like, it's so violent. Like we're just loving, and I was, yeah, I wrote a really impassioned paper for school because we actually had to read it in a college class I was in, and I was just like, why are they not into leather sexuality? And my professor was like, okay, eighteen year old, but yeah, (laughs) I Um, mean, legit, your eighteen year old self had a legitimate critique. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's there's a lot there, but um. But jumping back, I guess it's just like, you know, like, and I think this feels like disabled wisdom too. It's like, what can you do with the spoons or the capacity you have? Like, what's yeah. one move you can make that's small? And then can you build on that? Yeah. 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 But can I talk about alternatives? To yeah, yeah. Dying? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is the thing. 
is like, I'm a survivalist, but I'm not like anti-civilization in the ways that some people are like, I want mids, you know? And I think that's something that like other crips I know talk about a lot, which is like, you know, we're really against this way that some people, including some people who would like align themselves with like healing justice are like, oh yeah, we just have to go back before colonialism and capitalism and just everyone lived on herbs and it was great. And I was like, no, bitch, I need surgery and meds. Like I, I want it all. Like I love non-Western pre-colonial traditional healing. Absolutely. And I've had friends who died because they didn't get their surgeries on time. Like my friend LL died because nobody would give him a fucking kidney because they said he was too fat. And I'm just like, my good future involved. I mean, and it's he's one of millions, right? No, I know. Yeah. But it's just, just, yeah, no, totally. Um, So like my good future involves like we have surgical suites and we, I'm just like, you know, honestly, Also, a lot of times that worldview just seems so white to me because I'm just like, listen, a lot of like global South places figure out how to have like field hospitals and medical care, right? In like really dire and like low resource situations. No, only Europe has ever figured out surgery. No one else has done surgery until Europe showed up. Yeah, not fucking ever. So fucking bad. (laughs) Said bite down on a stick while I saw your arm off. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like what one thing I would just say is like, I would say that and I would say like, you know, really... I want to like lift up and encourage people to like, look at like, like, you know, and they can be hard to find, but like, look at cultures, Mm -hmm. look at organizing initiatives where people are like, we can have our own ambulance. We can have our own, like what, and, and when that's not there to think about what would it mean to have medical care after the apocalypse? Right. Um, what would it mean to like make hormones, make drugs, yeah. like synthesize chemicals? And it's not impossible. I think that we're still in the in-between of like, okay, we got to figure out how to do that. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about like Ijeris Dixon, who's my friend and comrade. And, you know, we co-edited Beyond Survival together, which is a book we wrote um, that came out right at the beginning of the pandemic about like stories and strategies from how people are actually trying to create safety without the cops. Ijeris always talks about how they were like, yeah, like, in Louisiana, you know, in the South, you know, like in the 50s and 60s and before, I believe, there were all kinds of black run ambulance and 911 services yeah. because regular 911 wouldn't come to black communities, right? Yeah. And they, I mean, something that I've heard them say a lot over the years is like, we don't have the people's ambulance yet, but we could. Yeah. And then it makes me like also jump to some friends of mine who were um, in Seattle. Um, who were really active as like street medic crew during um, the rebellions after George, George Floyd was murdered by the police um, in you know 2020 in summer. And specifically in, as some people remember, um, Seattle managed to have like 16 square, um, 16 square blocks like break off from the city for a while, chop, yeah. um, the Capitol <laughs> organized front. And so what people don't know is like the cops were like, okay, fuck you. Like, we're not going to, if there's any 911 ambulance calls, we're not going to fucking let anyone go in there. So street medic crew had to deal with a lot of really intense situations. Yeah. And then after that, like a lot of those folks, like some folks were already nurses or EMTs. And a lot of the folks who were involved went to nursing school or EMT school and were like, and I don't know where it's at now, but they were like, we want to create, because right now in Seattle, there's, if somebody is having like a crisis on the street, like a medical or a mental health crisis or an altered state crisis, there's no non 911 like crisis response that you can call. Right. There's either like you go down the stairs to talk to somebody or there's the cops, right? And they were like, we could get a van, we could get medical equipment from eBay. And, you know, I don't know where they're at with that, but they were really organizing around like, yeah, we could get a defibrillator, we could get oxygen, we could get blood pressure cups, we could get fucking 
you know, and I, I think that that shit gets complicated in terms of like insurance and regulation and the state and the medical industrial complex. But I want us to keep thinking about that. I also, and then I'll wrap up because we have other questions to get to, but um, <laughs> it also makes me think about, I mean, I don't know um, if folks are familiar with like Gretchen Felker Martin's like amazing science fiction book, Manhunt, right? Um, which is I haven't about, read Manhunt you know, yet. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so fucking good. Okay, okay, so I won't give it away, but I just, for people who don't know, it's like, um, I mean, I'd say it's like the one kind of gender side book where, oh, a virus, you know, affects people with like certain like chromosomes or certain da, da, da. Yeah. that's not turfy. Because, yeah. you know, it's a book because it's a book that, you know, she's she's trans and it's a book that centers trans women and non-binary yeah. communities. And there's like one or two trans masculine characters. But like the two main trans femme, like trans woman characters in the book, they're like, I mean, they have to they're like, yeah, like we're going on raids to get you know, hormones and like, you know, different like chemical drugs we need. And we're also figuring out how to synthesize them from herbs and different substances. And it's not easy. It's a struggle. But like there are organized communities of trans women and allies that are fighting to do it. And I'm just like, yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's an amazingly well written book and she's incredible and I fucking loved it. And it's just beautifully written and really just sorry, I won't gush too much, but like go read it. It's (laughs) incredible. But I just really also appreciated it because she was like, yeah, like, of course, we're going to get our hormones after the end of the world like of course it's yeah. possible and um i will also i i have some criticisms of the ableism in it but um emmy o'brien and fuck i'm forgetting the second author's name but um every you know everything everything for everyone everyone for everything that book oh yeah I, right i appreciate I how either, in but... the good future in the good future society they're like our priority is making sure that like insulin and like chemical drugs and hormones are like accessible and free to everybody. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I would just like push people towards like, there are ways of imagining the future where we can defeat capitalism, but still have medical care of all kinds. We can have Reiki and acupuncture and we can also have hormone surgery and transplants. And we might be doing it better because it's not controlled by fucking corporations and assholes. Yeah. Sorry. That's my soapbox. Um, and, and I, okay, I will say in terms of people being like, that's really nice, but what about me? I would be like, you know, I mean, right now in like the war on trans America, there are so many people already who are like, yeah, I'm stockpiling meds. I'm like doing yeah. meds trading. I would say like, it goes back to what we started about, which is like, okay, what are your needs? Like, what are the things that you're worried will not be there if the world ends, right? Right. And we also need to recognize like the world's already ending and it's ended for some of us a bunch of times already. But like, I would be like, make that list and then really be like, all right, how do I get it? You know? And if yeah. I can't specifically get it, are there like backups that I can get? Um And it may be stuff that you can research on your own. It also might be stuff where it's like, okay, are there trans, repro justice, disability justice organizations nationally, globally, locally that you can hit up and be like, what are folks' thoughts about this? Are there ways that we can resource your... Because I think it's about pills. I think it's also about durable medical equipment. So Mm -hmm. in terms of like stuff that requires like power to live, like I think about generators and I think about generator shares and I think about things like... um, there's a story, you know, when um, Hurricane Sandy hit New York 10 years ago, there were a whole bunch of us where um, there's a guy, Nick, who's in community who physically disabled guy, 13th floor accessible apartment, you know, the lights went out, mm-hmm. you know, really dependent on like, you know, bat- like electricity to like change out the batteries on his ventilator. There's a whole crew of disabled folks, like people walked up and down those fucking stairs every eight hours to take the spent batteries figured out, hey, you know what's the power? The fucking fire department. 
we people were walking down recharging the batteries every eight hours and it was allies it was ambulatory it was like disabled people who could walk it was fucking hard but people were like we're not nick and his friends were like we're not just gonna die yeah right like we're needed so i want to shout out that and i also like just for possibility modeling i really want to one other place i want to shout out is um an art that used to be known as Portlight, but was now known as the Center for Inclusive Disaster Strategies, which is a disabled-led organization that is about, like, yeah, when there's a climate or other disaster, like, they figure out ways of getting, like, accessible fucking evacuation, like, you know, methods to places. Because they know, we know there's millions of examples of people who are just left to die in nursing homes, or like, oops, the bus doesn't have a ramp, or... You know, I really want to name that during Katrina, some people may know about, um, you know, the situation with the nursing home that was there where a lot of folks who were wheelchair users or had high care needs were fucking, like, they were killed by medical staff because the medical staff were like, we're going to actually euthanize these folks without their knowledge or consent. Yeah, no, there was actually a movie on HBO about it, I think, semi-recently, because we can't, that's easier than figuring out how to fucking get people in the medevac, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies, like, I'm still getting to know them, but I have friends who are involved. And they're like, yeah, we're aware this is an issue. So, like, yeah, let's work with the fucking Cajun fucking Navy to, like, make sure that, like, you can get folks with different bodies onto, like, evac boats. Like, let's figure out what, you know, disabled survival looks like. And I will just say, and this is the last thing I swear, like, for me, you know, I mean, I, we all know water is important, like, I can't lift 54 pounds. Guess what? So can't, which is like, you know, a seven gallon, right? Like right. five or seven gallon, whatever. I'm just like, yeah, so I can actually have smaller like jugs of water that I can yeah. transport. And like, <laughs> I have a bug out plan, but I also have a real shelter in place plan because I'm just like, yeah, my apartment's accessible for me. So yeah, I've got a shit ton of water right here and I'll be good for a while. And I also yeah. have a plan B for like, okay, there's i've got my filtration equipment so like when that runs out i'm close to some water sources where i can go and i can filter that shit and that's me thinking about what works for my body think about what works for yours and then plan out from that okay i'll really stop talking now no no but there's so much there like like even just like to go to the 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 weight of water right right um the thing that i ran across that i'm like i'm i'm reasonably able-bodied and and such like that right but i i live alone and so obviously there's this like specific thing where like well, one, I mean, abledness is always like a temporary position. Like yeah, there's going to be a period. You're gonna get fucking life. disabled. You're gonna get yeah. fucking disabled. Like it yeah. literally happens to, and unless you like, I don't know, die very quickly, very suddenly, probably violently, right. you're gonna go through a period <laughs> of disability in your life. You know, right? And um, right. and and so, okay. My my argument is that machismo is anti-prepping. Um, and one of the mm-hmm. ways that I would say is that like like there's now I think. Um, okay, so cement bags, they come in like 50-pound bags traditionally. Right. But now right. there's more and more, I think, there seems to be more and more 30-pound bags, right? right? And I used to be like, oh, whatever, I can lift 50-pound bags, so right. I should carry the 50-pound bag. And then I'm like, well, like, well, that's not a helpful way to look at it. Like, like it is far better for me to just have 30-pound bags of cement because they're easier <sighs> to carry. And like, I'll get tired less. And I, you know, at the time that I was pouring these bags, I lived up a, um, up a hill about uh, probably the equivalent of a seven story walk up to this cabin that I was building. Right. And so I had to carry each and every one. It was way nicer that I carried 30 pound bags. And like, <sighs> and if your preparedness doesn't include the fact that your level of ability will change in different situations, then it's not very good preparedness. And, right. and so like, 
I don't know. I mean, like most of my water drugs are four or five gallon drugs. I use mm -hmm. jerry cans. I think most of them are five gallon. Um, yep. And I hate the six gallon ones and the seven gallon ones. They're just heavy and annoying. And it's like I can lift yeah. them, but there's no reason why I should. Um, unless I'm like specifically working on lifting weights. Um, and then the other thing that you talked about that I really, I think about a lot, you know, is this idea, does your version of disaster mean that every doctor dies? Like, you know, or like, <laughs> does your version of disaster mean everyone who's ever made insulin dies? Like, yeah. like Seriously. it's possible. Sure. You could have like 90, if, if almost everyone on earth dies, then everything is a little different, but like most disasters don't actually most disasters destroy ways of living and large numbers mm -hmm. of people, but not mm -hmm. the majority of people, right? Mm -hmm. Most people survive most disasters. Um, mm -hmm. And and people are like, well, our organizational systems are what produce insulin. And like, no, people produce insulin mm -hmm. and they use organizational systems with which to mm -hmm. do it. But different mm -hmm. organizational systems can also produce insulin. Like mm -hmm. different organizational systems can use the same infrastructure sometimes and make the things that we rely on. And it, it like came up with this like whole thing where people on the internet were like, ah, if you're an anarchist, you hate disabled people because in anarchy, you can't have insulin. And you're like, That's this gross. It is yeah. a complete misunderstanding of anarchism. It is not a lack mm -hmm. of organization. It's a different type of organization. Anarchy is responsibility. Yeah, Sorry. totally. Sorry. Totally. That's why people don't like it. People are like afraid <laughs> of it because then they actually have to, it's the accepting no one is coming to save us except us, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. No, I, I I love that way of framing it. And it, it, it also annoys anarchists when you tell them this too. Oh, well, listen, I mean, like, you know, so I worked at Modern Times Books, which was, you know, is no yeah. longer around, but was like a long time, like anarchist and anti-authoritarian radical bookstore in the Bay. And um, we had the only public toilet in all of the mission because everybody else was like, no, you got to buy something. And in my interview, they were like, how will you make the store better? And I was like, I will make the bathroom not smell horrible. Cause you know, it was just like, yeah. it was like a bus. I mean, everyone was pissing yeah. in there. And so I taped up a sign that said anarchy is responsibility. Like if you spray the fuck the toilet with urine, please wipe it up together. We yeah. can have the toilet. And somebody called me out and was like, that's capitalist. And I was like, no, just it's wipe not. your piss up, man. If, we, yeah. if you can't wipe your piss up, we're not going to make the revolution. Like, come on. On. Yeah, but yeah, yeah they, they got pissed at me about that then <laughs> too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point, and it's like you know, I mean, I think that it does point to you know, I think a structural problem in a lot of our movements, which is like, yeah, we don't we need more people who like know some basics of like chemistry and like can synthesize yeah. stuff. Like that's you know, we need more people who've gone to some kind of science or engineering school who can like yeah. you know figure out how sewage works and how you synthesize insulin and how you synthesize hormones and like basic surgery. And I think there's a lot of hopefulness because I maybe it's just the folks I hang out with, but I have a fair number of friends who are like, Yeah, I'm gonna be a nurse practitioner, I can give you an abortion, yeah. I can sew up your wound, I can help you figure out this thing. And I'd love for there to be more of us who can go to PA school or know more than that. And I also think, yeah, we need to, I mean, of course it's like a longer range strategy, but it's like, yeah, some chemistry school would be great. And like, you know, recruiting folks who know some STEM stuff and who are like, yep, we can, you know, yeah. we can build it. We have the technology I think is super important. Yeah. And also, but I, but I really thank you for saying like, what in like your idea of disaster to all the doctors die. Cause like, no, they're not going to fucking all die. Yeah. Like, it is a problem that, you know, under capitalism 
an ableist, racist, white supremacist, sexist, sexist society. You know, medical school is really expensive and hard to get through and it'll fucking kill, like make you half dead. But it doesn't mean there aren't like some progressive PAs and doctors out there who are like, yeah, like we can figure it out. And it does not mean that the entire national medical stock is going to disappear overnight. It's yeah, not. Totally. Like, it's really not. Yeah. There's a lot of insulin out there. It may not seem like it because it's hard to get because it's expensive. Right. But like th- there's a shit ton of meds out there and it's not all going to run out right away. Yeah. And it does have an impressive shelf life overall. Um, the, you know, the dosages will change as it gets older because it becomes less right. effective. But like, sure. Um, is a, is a, is a hard to get, but is actually more stockpileable than most disposable or like uh, consumable goods. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one more big topic that I really want to talk to you about. Originally, we we're going to do the whole first half about it. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, I want to talk about the state of COVID and how it ties into disability and preparedness. And I want to talk about like how we as both a society and then also as movements like are and are not handling COVID in responsible mm-hmm. ways and like mm-hmm. where we're at with it right now. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think it's the crypts that are going to inherit the earth because, you know, I mean, part of the anarchy is responsibility thing is, you know, what's responsibility and anarchy, public fucking health, Yeah. you know, and it's the irony where, you know, some, like, so, you know, as of this recording, um, mm-hmm. the CDC and ASIP just like authorized like the newest variation of, um, you know, the boosters and um, the Missouri, let me find this because it is just so fucking horrible. And I was like, is this real? And they were like, yeah. So yeah, Triangle Mass Brigade, which is like a Durham rally in um, Chapel Hill mask, um, you know, just like mass distro and COVID activist group. Mm-hmm. They had posted, um, hold on, the Missouri Department of Health, li- their Instagram literally posted a thing that was like, COVID vaccines will be available in Missouri soon. And then they say, I shit you not, if you're into that sort of thing, if not, just keep scrolling. And I was like, oh, my God, this can't be real. And they were like, no, it's fucking real. It's literal." And they're they like, I was screaming at the person who's there's literally an epidemiologist, but who's, you know, yeah. like, you know, eugenicist and fasci. And OK, so what I mean by this, what I mean is, is that like anarchy's responsibility and that everyone I know who's involved in disabled organizing like COVID safety organizing that's like I'm like shit I hate to look like a tin hatter but I'm just like the CDC's abandoned us you know it sucks they're just like oh what COVID what surge what data we've made it so there is none (laughs) oh everyone's sick but oh what could that be it is the rest of us who are like it sucks that we've had to become citizen scientists and public health people with no budget to be like wear a mask use you know nasal spray like use you know use this particular kind of mouth use cpc mouthwash here's what you do when you get sick like here's you know all of that but we are the ones who are working towards collective safety and keeping ourselves and each other safe um yeah I don't know if I'm answering your question. I just basically I'm just like TLDR, those of us who are COVID conscious and who are not just continuing to keep ourselves safe individually, but who are like putting out tools are going to be the ones that save all of us that end up getting saved as much as possible. Like, yeah. And I guess something I'll say is um, I was, I was just talking to my friend Gabe, who's a musician, and he's got an album release in like a, a week or two in Seattle. And I'm actually going to be there because I was really excited to like go and celebrate him because it's his first album in a while. And I was yeah. like, hey, what's your COVID safety plan? And he's like, oh, I'm so glad to talk about this. He's like, you know, it's in a bar. So like I can make it mask required, but then people will take them off to eat or drink. So I don't know what to do. And I was like, great. But 
if you like actually really model it and if you have masks to like the people can have at the door yeah. and if we get some air purifiers because he was like also he's like there's just not good ventilation i was like that will do a huge amount of risk reduction and like yeah. we just have to keep reminding people and being like hey yeah take it off briefly to fucking drink your drink but put it back on and he was like god i'm so glad to talk to you about this because he's like you know the last two times i got covid were when i was performing at a show and i don't yeah. want anyone to get covid and i don't want to get it for the fourth time or whatever yeah and and so then i was like hey there's this group clean air club which some people might know that's out of chicago that's a really amazing i don't even know if they're collective like it might just be one person but they started out being like hey like for musicians and people who are trying to do in-person events we will loan you air purifiers and oh that's cool Right. And they're just like, and we'll talk you through like, how many do you need for like X number of square feet? And like, here's yeah. the things you can do. And then they also like, I think I first ran into them because they put out a really good safety guide for like, are you flying? Like, here's some ways to reduce myth, reduce risks. So like N95K95, but they were also the first place that was like, hey, people don't talk enough about nasal sprays or they only know about Enovid, which is like very effective, but it's Israeli and it's expensive. So between those two things, yeah. a lot of people won't buy it. But they're like, here's all these different kinds that actually like form a barrier in your nose so that if you do get exposed to COVID it can't really stick to your ACE I've never even heard of this before I will send you the link um, yeah. I just had a direct exposure three weeks ago I mean I think we were talking because I still don't know if I had COVID or not because yeah. um, but I was I was in Philly and I was just like, yep, you know, I, I know it's dense. I know there's a lot of people around. I hung up with a friend outside. I sprayed myself beforehand. I sprayed myself after I went and I hung up with a friend for 24 hours. And then the day after that, my friend who had hung out with outside was like, I'm so sorry. I tested negative right before I saw you, but I just tested positive and I was having symptoms. Yeah. And I was like, anyway, I don't want to go too much into my own story, but like, Clean Air, I guess what I was, why I was bringing this up is that Clean Air Club is one of many examples I know where they're like, they're sharing knowledge of like, here's how we do harm reduction. Here's how we create safer spaces. Here's how we use layers of protection, which is the terminology people CDC has put out there, which is like masking, air purifiers, CPC mouthwash after exposures, like mm -hmm. nasal sprays, antivirals, like opening the windows. And then I think it's also the conversations we have because like when I talked to Gabe, I was, he was like, ah, I, I really wanted to do it, but I was just stuck. And he needed me, the conversation we had where I was like, Hey, what about we try this? What about we try that? It's not going to be a like 100%, no one will have COVID situation, but we can reduce the risk so much and we can right, still be totally. together. It's not either. We all never leave our houses or see anyone ever again, right. or like, you know, we just raw dog the air and cough all over each other. There's a lot of shit we can do in the middle to reduce risk. And I think that like, that's going to be stuff. That's part of my prep. And like, I feel like for a lot of us, like I use the term, the great forgetting, which is what I feel like, you know, the state and governments and you know the medical industrial complex has pushed under capitalism especially in the last year to be like what covid there's no covid let's yeah. take away data no one oh all you have is wastewater and like what's that even like no one has covid there's just been such an encouragement of like see no evil like see no evil smell no covid and <laughs> go back to work and then there's all the rest of us who are like no it's still here we're tracking surges here's how we're going to keep ourselves safe as communities I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I guess the point I'm getting to is like a lot of us in disabled and COVID activist community have been like, eventually, I would love to believe that there's like effective vaccines that actually prevent the virus, not just right. 
you know, make it less like suck less. I really hope for COVID like prep, like a prep equivalent or like yeah. a protease inhibitor equivalent for HIV. I hope for, you know, like post-exposure stuff where you can just spray shit in your nostrils and it kills it hundred percent. Until then, we're going to have to keep creating harm reduction, layer of protection strategies. And a lot of us, I feel like I keep almost saying this and then like, it feels like tricky to say it, but I'm like, a lot of us are like, yeah, it's kind of a forever pandemic. It's not, it's over. It's like, it's not over yet. So part of the apocalypse is now is like, yeah, we're living in a pandemic and a plague that continues. How do we figure out how to socialize with each other, not get COVID, not give ourselves COVID for the first or the fifth time and build strong communities that are about like not dying and like not getting exposed to a disease that can have such disabling effects. Right. And it is about community safety versus individualism. No. And it, I really, I really like this because it's like one of the things that I've been, I've been thinking about more and more as I, I saw it somewhere. I don't remember exactly, but it was like that we need to mourn a world that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Totally. The, the pre COVID world does not exist. And it's like, it's kind of a grow the fuck up. Like, we mm-hmm. to the people who are like, what I want to just go back to doing these things. I'm like, well, you just can't. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Now there's other things. I'm not being like no more live music. Like I think that the, what you're talking about, this risk management yeah. structure is what to do. It's like, well, if you want to go back to doing these things, we need to be learning HVAC. <laughs> like speaking of yeah. like, you know, like learning like seriously, like one of my best friends is like a radical Palestinian HVAC trans engineer. They're yeah. now a nurse practitioner, but they were like, I went into HVAC and I was like, great, we're going to need you. We need you right now. I'm yeah. so happy you have those skills. And it, and it, because it's like, this is just going to keep happening. And one of the things I think about is I, I was thinking about how like, you know, I, I travel a lot and I go to a lot of different scenes mm-hmm. and, and some scenes I see uh, a larger number of people who are like visibly, um, I don't know the right way to phrase this, like wheelchair users and, and things like that, like people who have mobility. Disabled. Ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, to specifically yeah. people who are disabled in ways that like physical access to space re- requires certain to- yep. like things. Um, and I see a greater percentage of people in some scenes and some other scenes. And then I'm like, oh, because you only see someone who needs a wheelchair when you're in a punk sh- venue that's wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. And it's not because there aren't mm-hmm. punks who use wheelchairs, but you if you think that there's no punks who use wheelchairs, it's because you're going to punk venues that are not wheelchair accessible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and this it's applies- a self-fulfilling prophecy of access where it's like, well, I don't see any disabled people, so we don't need access. And I'm like, we're not here because your space isn't accessible, you right. jackass. Right. And I'm seeing this increasingly also around mask use. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, because if you like oh well, none of me and my friends right. like everyone who comes to this thing like we don't care about masks it's like that's because there's other people in your community who do want to come but can't because they showed up right. and no one was right. wearing a mask and so they left um because right. they don't want to die <laughs> or like you know they don't want to like um and it's and it's fascinating because like this sorry i don't want to cut you off no no I'm, I'm basically done it's just like we just need to accept responsibility and fix shit and that's and that's the preparedness thing that you've been talking about is like you look at your list of problems and then you figure out how to do it and you become really inventive about how to do it and our mm-hmm. problem is that covid is is around and so our solution mm-hmm. can't be no more live music because that is a, a part of mm-hmm. living that we sure. appreciate right but it also can't be pretend it doesn't exist. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that, like, I mean, what you said about, like, the self-fulfilling prophecy of, like, mm-hmm. well, we don't mask, so nobody needs to mask. And it's like, well, everyone who needs to mask is home. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, that was so dead on. And also it was like, 
Yeah, I mean, that's also not new. Like, that's been, like, a disabled dynamic for a really long time. And what I mean by this, there's a bunch of examples, but, like, I mean, I'm thinking about, like, in chronic illness and, like, multiple chemical sensory slash, multiple chemical sensitivity slash injury community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, like, so, like, something I was involved in was, like, creating more materials around, like, fragrance-free and chemical-free stuff. Um, Some people might know, like, this document I made years ago now called Fragrance-Free Femme of Color Genius. Um... Because that was just a list of like, okay, yeah, like here's different products that are fragrance free and affordable that aren't just like ye olde whitey vegan crap that sucks and that doesn't work for like curlier <laughs> textured or kinky hair. But uh-huh. like, you know, we would find a lot because like, like something that people in like MCS and environmental illness and chronically ill community had faced for years was people when they'd be like, hey, can you make it fragrance free? Is people would be like, what? I mean, it would just be like you're asking them to like serve Christ's head on a platter or something. And they'd be like, can you just not wear perfume just for the one fucking time? Yeah. And then the response would often be like, well, you know, you just you can be fragrance free in your house. Like, why do I have to make it fragrance free? And it's because and it's like actually like under the Americans with Disability Act, but also in terms of justice, like we deserve to be in the world, not yeah. just in our houses. Yeah. And yeah, and that thing of like, well, I don't know anyone else's problem. I'm like, it's because we all have to leave because we were throwing up or we don't even come because we're afraid we're going to get sick or we know we're going to get sick because of all the chemicals, right? Right. So it's a real paradigm shift. And like it necessitates a lot of talking to move from this kind of like individualist ableism of like, well, you can do whatever weird disabled shit that you want in the privacy of your own home. But like, I don't have, too because i'm american to like oh actually we need to make it for everybody and actually it benefits everybody yeah right um this is you don't necessarily keep this and i remember after like eight years of fighting it out in the bay stacy called me crying because she was like oh my god like it was like 2016 2017 and it was like a save daca rally and she was like there are these like 15 year old undocumented like queer brown youth who are like because you know it was indigenous and undocumented led and Mm -hmm. like she's like they have chairs for people to sit in at the front of the rally. And they're like, okay, yeah. we're, we're going to hold up the sage and the cedar, but not light it. Cause we know that some people have asthma and MCS. And if the revolution's not accessible, it's not the revolution. And she was like, all the conversations, I'm like, I'm crying. <laughs> Cause for years, especially in yeah. BIPOC community, it was a struggle because people would be like, wait, these are our medicines. And we'd be like, we know we use them too. And also like, can yeah. we, like, I just have friends who are indigenous who are like, if there's so much sage in a tiny room, I'm going to have an asthma attack. And like, it means I don't go to events or like, yeah. you know, copal or different medicine. They're like, are there ways we can have the medicine present and like do it excessively for everybody? Yeah. So more access gives worth to more access. Um, if you make more for everybody, everyone will be there. Blah, blah, blah. I will die on this fucking hill. But, um, and I will say no, 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 because you don't don't lay down and die. On no, the hill. just survive. No, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, that, yeah I'm, surviving <laughs> the, I'm surviving on the flat, accessible space. And I will say, you know, I'm just like shout out to disabled punks because there's, you know, there's been, a, there's, we've been here for forever, and you know, especially in the past 15 years, like I feel like that is one place of hope where. You know, I'm like a semi-punk, but like, yeah, like I'm punk. I mean, it's all green hair, whatever. And I, I yeah, okay, I'm a punk. You're a yeah. punk. I'm looking no, at I you right now. Years you're ago, as, my friend was you're like, as punk as I am. Like, <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, I also have, you know, my feet in different subcultures too. But like, but I mean, I just hear like, there's a lot of different spaces. Like I think about like Gilman still, as last I checked, you know, had yeah. a bunch of disabled folks on the collective and they're like, yeah, we're still everyone masked. Or like Vera Project, which is like yeah. a very loved, like all ages venue in Seattle where I'm not, I haven't checked recently, but I know that for a long time they were like, they were one of the first places in Seattle that opened back up to live music and are like an all ages anarchist, you know, yeah. like queer space. And they were like, no, like everyone masks, we have, and we have HVAC. 
or um yeah god i'm blanking on the name of it but like a friend of mine who is you know really bayani who i taught me so much about masking as somebody with like severe mcs and other disabilities they're i mean they've posted a lot about they're like yeah like they're like i live in albuquerque now and there's like you know a, a like monthly burlesque drag night that requires masking and there are all these performers who are wearing got like the ellipse whatever like the really good hard mask on stage yeah. like it's a really great respirator and it also looks sexy as hell yeah and you can breathe in it and they're just like yeah like we can actually have like a slutty drag burlesque punk night and like no one dies how about that y'all yeah i mean this is the thing and and i do want to shout out um if i can toot my own horn for a second um you know, I sent to you, there's that document that me and my friend Tina Zavatsanos put together earlier this year, the Long Winter COVID Survival Guide. Mm-hmm. And we did it because we were just like, like, I mean, you know, the first year or two of the pandemic, I was in Seattle and we really did have a bunker mentality of like, okay, yeah. like we were like, eventually the vaccines will come. And at the time we were like, and they will just eliminate COVID and great. So we just have to survive till then and not get COVID. So I was very much just like in my house with the people yeah. I live with or by myself for like, you know, two like year, two years, yeah. And then right around 2022, we were like, actually, uh-uh, no, like it's not, it's yeah. not panning out that way. And we really are really, really struggling in isolation. And so Tina is a friend of mine. We work together, and they're on immune suppressants for their disabilities. So they were like, I didn't really leave my house for like more than eight times, like to go into public spaces in two years. Yeah. The first year they were living in Brooklyn and they were just like, I don't have an immune system. And if I go to the hospital, like, it's just going to be all bad. Like I cannot, like, I really cannot like put myself at risk. And then they moved to lower Manhattan. Like they're living in an apartment in Chinatown now. And so, and they're also a sepsis survivor. Um, And, you know, sepsis, if you survive it, your immune system is altered for two years after that. Or if you get like a cold, you can die. So they were just like, I can't let anyone in my apartment, but my partner, period. Like I have, so I was just like, well, I want to see you. And they were like, well, there's a park across the street from my house. And we just call it Tina Park now amongst our friends. And they were like, we figured out all this stuff. Like they were like, yeah, like we're living in Manhattan, but like we have like a portable gas generator that like heats up and we have, we got sheepskins from Ikea and we have, we have like hot pockets and like hot packs that we put all over our bodies and our shoes. And like, we're going to order pho and eat it. And I was just like, okay, but now I'm imagining hot pockets, like the food and you're just putting microwave hot pockets. I always call it that, but you know what I mean? Like the hot, no, I know, but it's more fun to imagine it this way. It's more, yeah, I mean, you could do it too. But so basically out of that, I was just like, Tina, I know so many people who are really like, this is a grim winter because everyone's just like, fuck, like I have survived in isolation but i haven't seen anybody in person have been touched for years and i don't want to get covid what do i do so we put it together and we put it out there as a like yeah if you are in cold areas like here are ways that we can gather more safely outside as disabled people including disabled people like i have disabilities where i'm like yo if i sit in the cold too long like i get really fucked up like i will be in a flare for a week And I think that's another example of like what we're talking about, about like, it's not about either total denial of COVID throwing yourself off the cliff or just lying down and dying in isolation, but about like, let's have live music. Let's have burlesque. Let's hang out in the park with our fucking portable heater and our fucking sheepskins and our layers and, you know, be able to be with each other safely. Yeah. 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 And not be abandoned. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, that's most of what we want to talk about. Um, 
do do you have anything uh anything you want to plug i mean there's obviously there's the stuff mm-hmm. you've plugged all along and we're going to put um we're going to compile all that and put it at the top of the show notes at the top of the transcript um thank you but um is there anything in particular other things that you want to plug how people can follow you or you've written a couple yeah. of books oh it's a few yeah <laughs> I've written or co-edited 10 books, which is wild. Um, my most recent came out, it's going to be a year and a couple weeks, um, and it's called The Future is Disabled, uh, Prophecies, Love Notes, and Morning Songs. And um, we sold the first printing in nine months. We sold 10,000 nice. copies, which is really great. Nice. Just because I did, my mom died last December, and I did no promotion for six months because I was just like, I'm going into my cave. Yeah, I cannot legit. be in public. Yeah, seriously. But so we have a second, so the second printing is coming out soon, and I'm really excited because I... You know, it was kind of like a writing the plane as I flew it thing where I was mm-hmm. like trying to write down like, here's what how COVID's looking. And then like things kept getting out of date so fast. Totally. And so I added, um, there's a new afterword. And um, I also it includes like an article I wrote last fall for Truth Out, um, which is now called Against the Great Forgetting. And it's about like able-bodied leftists can't abandon COVID safety if we're going to win. So that's both in there. And I am really excited because my friend Sandy Ho, um, who's a really incredible um, queer disabled Asian organizer, is writing a reading guide for it, um, which we're going to launch for free around the same time. So keep an eye out for that. And it's print book, ebook, audiobook. Um, it's in a lot of libraries. You can ask your library to order it. Have reading groups. Like think about your own disabled survival and your own disabled future and how you're making it. That's one thing I want to shout out. Um, I also really want to shout out um, I Want to Be With You Everywhere, which is a disabled arts collective that a bunch of my friends um, organize. And I want to shout it out because we had our first gathering since COVID started this summer on the summer solstice in New York. Um, And if you look us up and I can give you the link, um, I mean, it was just an amazing day of performance, but I guess the reason I'm shouting it out is that the people who organized it, we were like, I'm going to include myself in it because I was an artist and I created a disabled grief portal altar. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like the hair club for men. I'm like a member and also the president because we all are. (laughs) But like, we were really, and people were really like, we need to be together. And so it was a combination, like all outdoor, like 95% masked, Mm -hmm. like in person. They were calling it, it's like IRL and URL. So like we had that and then we had full Zoom and it was like 12 hours of gathering. And I know a lot of people are like, uh, it feels like either in person or Zoom, but not both. And it was my, like an example of like, we did both and we did it so that like folks who were there in person could interact with folks on Zoom. And like oh, we cool. had like screens on stage so like I could turn and like talk to the folks on Zoom and see them and like they yeah. could see me and we could interact. And we also just had like really... I'm always about like expanding access beyond like the bare minimum that we're taught is the best we can get. So we're like... We have a travel fund. Like, yeah, if you need money to get a wheelchair accessible cab, we got you. Like, we have, like, not just, like, ASL interpretation on stage, but interpreters, like, moving through the space. Because we know that, like, otherwise deaf folks often are like, oh, I get to just stay glued to deaf seating and not actually get to, like, hang out with people and, like, interact. Right. um, Unless my interpreter's with me. Um, I just want to shout out there as an example of a really creative way that we gathered together that was really life-giving. Yeah. And what is other stuff i think that's all i can think of right now um i'll keep you posted oh, but places people can follow me are um i am a social media slacker and a hermit but um brownstargirl.org is my i need to update it website i'm leaving twitter because fuck that guy yeah and fuck i left the, a couple like, weeks ago 
I face some harassment off and on. And also just like, I mean, it's all been bad, but then like the latest, like, oh, we get to steal all of your shit forever. I'm just like, no, I'm not giving you my intellectual property. Um, but I am on Blue Sky at... I bet people put put your name in. They'll come up with it, right? I Blue Sky is funny, though. Um, yeah, it is the LLPSX dot sky dot social um i'm migrating over there so um yeah like there's not a lot up there yet but this could motivate me you know what i'm gonna have to get back to you on my public instagram because i can't find it right now um no it's fine it'll all be in the show yeah so like but you know like you can google my name and stuff comes up and um yeah i also oh one thing i do want to shout out is like so like last year i kicked off this um disabled centering queer and trans BIPOC disabled folk like writing and creative organization living altars and then my mom died so like this year has been like very much like chrysalis research whatever but um keep an eye out for living altars stuff we're gonna start a kind of low-key kitchen table online reading series every three months for disabled majority cutie BIPOC writers and um when Stacy died um in 2020 um one of the things that I really that really hit me was that she was an incredible, incredible organizer. And I will shout out the Stacey Tata syllabus that me and Alice Wong did, where you can see a lot of her writing and poetry and organizing. Like she wrote Bernie Sanders' disability justice fucking platform. She did all kinds of shit. But I met her as a poet. You know, I met her when she was 20 mm-hmm. online as a poet. And I really saw the ways in which she struggled to find, like many of us do, accessible space to write as a queer disabled POC who had a million things going on. So I've been working on creating an accessible residency in her honor. And one of the things that Living Altars is going to do is I'm hoping to launch that next year. So um, yeah, just Google Living Altars in my name. It comes up and there'll be all kinds of shenanigans. And um, and we're going to also update the Long Winter Survival Guide soon because a lot of people wrote in and had amazing things to add, um, especially a lot of folks who live in Canada and like more northern colder places were like, yeah. here's different things you can do with like shelters, furs, like heating, different things yeah. like that. So I like to think of myself as like a structural engineer of disability justice as long cool. along with be- like I'm kind of like disabled Scotty sometimes where I'm like, here's this <laughs> thing, try it. Yeah. So yeah, so these are some things. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. And I hope oh my we'll God. have you back at some point. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for creating this podcast and being so awesome and all the things you do. Oh, thanks. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you should uh, fight for a better world and tell people about the podcast that encouraged you to do so being like get a, put our logo onto a flag and then carry it and be like this is the flag of the revel don't do this don't don't do what i'm saying but what you could do is tell people about it and in more polite ways instead of making it a weird flag why would you even think that you can also support us on Patreon because we uh, believe in paying. Uh, we pay our transcriptionist and we pay our audio engineer. And one day we might even pay the hosts. It should be cool. And you can do that by supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. And if you support us at $10 or more a month, we will send you a free zine every month anywhere in the world. But also you can listen to that zine anywhere in the world also for free without supporting us by listening to the podcast strangers in a tangled wilderness which comes out once a month or our other new podcast anarcho geek power hour where we talk about anarcho 
geek stuff. I don't know if it's always an hour. It's fun. In particular, I want to thank, and there's some new names on this list, which makes me really excited. I want to thank Hoss the Dog and Micaiah, Chris, Kirk, Jennifer, Starro, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Paige, SJ, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Milica, Paparuna, Allie, Janice and Odell, Funder, Anonymous, Ben Ben, Princess Miranda, Trickster, Lord Harkin, Carson, Marm, Catgut, Jacob, Buck, Percival. Thanks for supporting us. Y'all are great. And I hope everyone does as well as they can.